Hey, book club. I'm Kayla. And I'm Rachel. And we're the hosts of Books and Boards, the book club for people without one. There's nothing better than cozying up with your favorite book and a board full of snacks. Except for maybe rapid fire texting your sister about all the juicy details. We got tired of texting, so now we're here to talk about it. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Book Club, everybody. We're excited to be back and to be talking about another book today. Today, we're going to be talking about The Silent Patient. Do you know how to say the author's last name? It's Alex. I have been saying Michaelides. Okay, I like it. But it I could think... also be Michaelides. 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 Hmm. Yeah. We'll have to figure that out. Um, another pronunciation thing. I don't know if we've talked about this yet. I listened to the audiobook of this. Did you read it? Yes. I read in it. In the in the audiobook, they say the character's name Alicia, but then I was reading yeah. the back of the book and it says Alicia. There's yeah. how we would say it here cuz it's A L I C I A. Yeah. How have I, you been saying it in your head? I have been saying Alicia just because the spelling that's in the written form of the book is how we would spell Alicia. Yes. But, but the, the book is set in mm-hmm. England, like in and around London. So maybe that's how they would pronounce it. I have no idea. I know. Now I'm super curious how different people would pronounce that name. Should we try to say Alicia? Because that's how they say in the audiobook. I would assume that the author has a say in how characters' names are pronounced in an audiobook. I I would assume so. I've never I've, thought twice about that. But. No, I've never considered that, but I would assume an author's involved in the recording of an audiobook. Yeah, I you would think so. Because I feel like a lot of times, like, for audiobooks that are, like, um, biographies and, like, stuff like that, they, like, the, the author is the one reading mm-hmm. it, you know what I mean? So I feel like there has to be some sort of involvement, even with fiction. That's a good point. I don't know if you're an author or know more about this situation, let us know. Cause now I'm super curious how much authors are involved, but you're right. If it's a biography, obviously they're involved. So maybe for these two. Or did I say that right? Is it a biography or autobiography? Always get those confused. Autobiography. Is written yeah. by. Okay. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to our mother who is probably disappointed in us. She's rapidly texting us right now. Her fingers can't move fast enough. (laughs) In other news, you know what she would be proud of? This snack board that we put together for this book. This might be my favorite one yet. We have, for our listeners, brie with jam. We have some raspberries, blackberries, sopracetta. We have dark chocolates because this book gets dark. And we have some red wine. Because it's bloody. So red wine it was. It's a little early for me to be drinking the red wine right now, so I'm holding off. But it's probably a perfect time for you. What time is it over there? It is 424, basically 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock somewhere. It is truly 5 o'clock somewhere. So it's red wine time for you. Sure is. Um, What are you most excited about on this board? I've been chowing down on the berries. Mm, I think the brie. The brie, for whatever reason, just some brie with some jam yeah. is 
just like the the combination of the fruity flavor and the brie just really does it for me. Did you warm yours up? Yeah. And you I know what? Heated. I don't have this on my board, but the other day I went to a restaurant here and we got a appetizer that was Mm -hmm. basically like, imagine a mozzarella stick, but Mm -hmm. in a triangle form with brie Mm -hmm. inside. So not mozzarella inside, but brie inside. And yet again, they had this like jam. I think it was like, I think it was like black currant jam Mm. and you dipped it. So good. We might have to try that. Yeah, that very, sounds very tasty. tasty. Are you dipping your brie today, like with a cracker, or are you doing it with the meat, or mm, both? I don't really have any crackers on this one, so it's just the meat and oh. the cheese for me. But gotcha. I have some crackers on mine, so yeah. yeah. Um, we were having a little snacky snack before we started talking. Well, let's get into the story. Let's talk about what happened. During the silent patient. As a reminder, spoilers ahead, we are about to give a recap of this book. So if you have not read it and you want to read it before you listen, stop here, go read it, and then come back to us. If you have read it and you want to learn more, then let's talk. Or if you haven't read it and you just want to hear us talk about it, we're basically like the Spark Notes version of an audiobook. You're welcome. Hit it, Rachel. Okay, let's let's get it. So this is another one of those books that um, we've decided to cover that's very complicated in terms of the timelines and the narrators, so bear with us. But we are first introduced to Alicia, or Alicia, I already messed that up, (laughs) but we are introduced to her through her diary entries, and throughout the book we kind of follow along with those entries as we start to try to piece together what happened the night that her husband is killed. So we have that one perspective. And then the, the other main perspective that we're learning through is Theo Faber. I think I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Theo is a forensic psychotherapist who starts working with Alicia, who's now being treated in a psychiatric facility following her husband's death. Okay. So, little background on our girl, Alicia, Alicia, just going to say both. We learn that she is a painter, and she has unfortunately also been accused of murdering her husband, Gabriel. So, mm-hmm. throughout the book, she never really denies her guilt or, like, she never really says one way or the other if she did or if she didn't. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't really provide any sort of explanation because after the murder happens and after she is like taken into custody, she completely stops speaking, like literally doesn't say a word. But as the reader, we don't know like if she's choosing not to speak out of some sort of defiance, if she's like physically unable to speak because of some trauma or some other reason. We don't really know. Um, we just know that she is the silent patient, hence the title of the book. She is our silent patient. Yes. So the only real statement that she makes about the murder is in the form of a painting, which is now hanging in a gallery because of how like fascinated the public became with the case. It's kind of turned into this. um, I don't want to call it a tour. A sensationalized drama. Yes. Yes. So a lot of people go to the gallery to see this painting because it's the only like quote unquote statement that she made about what happened. Um, But we'll come back. we'll, We'll circle back to that later. So 
Besides Alicia's diary entries, the other main narrator of the story is, like I said, for Theo. And he is the psychotherapist who is working with Alicia. Alicia. Um, we learn that he was inspired to go into like that field and that career because of his own troubled past and his own experiences with mental illness. So he, in the beginning of the book, he's working in a different facility and he decides to leave his job and apply to work at the Grove, which is the facility where Alicia is being treated. But this is like years after the mm. actual murder. So she's already been like in custody. She's gone through the trial and she's been in this facility and he decides, oh, I'm going to go and apply to work there because of his like ongoing fascination with the case. And to me, that already felt a little questionable, but it seemed <laughs> that he had good intentions and just wanted to like find out what happened. And it seemed like he was just like, oh, this is a cool case to try to work with. So that's what like that's why he left. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to his first day on the job and we meet the other staff members at the Grove. So we have, again, I hope I'm saying this right, Diomedes. Diomedes. That's how they say it on the audiobook. Okay. You got it. Good. So we have him. He is like the the main head of the psychiatry unit. So he's like the doctor. Um, we also have Christian. He's another psychotherapist who Theo actually previously worked with. And apparently they didn't really get along. They didn't really like each other. Um, so they're, they're not super stoked to be together again, but oh well. So Theo starts to gather information on Alicia from the staff. And he pretty much just asks Diomedes to start seeing her one-on-one. -on -one. At first, Diomedes isn't like super stoked about that idea because he apparently had previously worked with her one-on-one -on -one and he just kind of said it was hopeless because she wasn't speaking obviously and so he didn't think that he could get anywhere with her but Theo continues to persist and eventually starts to meet with her individually um in the first few sessions as you'd probably imagine doesn't really get anywhere because she's not only not speaking but she's also been heavily medicated for a long time so mm -hmm. she doesn't really even seem to be like present in the sessions so because he's not really getting anything from alicia he rather unethically starts to poke around alicia's past starts meeting up with like a number of her friends and her family members trying to get more information and more insight into her life and just the events that led up to Gabriel's death um, to try to figure out what happened. So as Theo is gathering this information in real time, we're also learning still through Alicia's diary entries that apparently her mother was killed in a car accident and Alicia believes that her mother may have intentionally caused that accident. So there's a lot of trauma on both ends of the story with Theo's past and with Alicia's past. And we're still just trying to figure out how all those pieces fit together. So jumping back to real time with our guy Theo sneaking around, we meet John Felix, who was somewhat of a friend to Alicia, but it also seemed like they had a bit of a complicated relationship because John Felix was also the person who owned the gallery, which showcased Alicia's work. And that just kind of seems a little, a little tricky um, mm -hmm. because he decided to like present that work after the murder. So it just, you know, turned into the whole fascination sensationalized case. Yeah. Does she get any profit from that? I don't know. And I actually don't even know if like she... Did she consent? Yeah, that's that's what I mean. I was going to say, I don't know if she had a say in it, but obviously she didn't because she's not saying a word. 
But anyway, I don't know if she, <laughs> I really don't know if she consented to that. So, or again, is getting money from it? Again, rather unethical, a lot of these, a lot of these situations. <laughs> Anywho, John Felix tells Theo that he should read the ancient Greek tragedy called Alcestis, which is the title that Alicia gave to her final piece of art that she made after Gabriel's death. So the play, Spark Notes, tells the story of a man named Admetus who was trying to essentially cheat death. And then also his wife, who was named Alcestis, gives up her own life so that her husband can live. So at this point, we're not quite sure what that means in terms of how it relates to Alicia's story, but we need to remember that detail for later, okay? So keep moving along. Around this time, Theo also meets Alicia's brother-in-law, Max. I'm sorry, I just have to say that this is going to turn into a drinking game of how many times I switch the pronunciation of her name because I'm really trying to say Alicia as the audiobook. (laughs) But my brain is wanting me to say Alicia, so now I'm just combining the two. So if you're listening and you want to turn this into a game, it might be kind of fun. because With your red wine. (laughs) Because you can tell that I'm struggling. Okay, so around this time, Theo meets Alicia's brother-in-law, Max. He claims that she had been seeing a therapist at Gabriel, her husband's request, because he was worried about her mental state. So we're also not very sure how reliable Max is at this point, because we find out through her diary entries that Max had attempted to kiss her and touch her inappropriately on multiple different occasions. And let me remind you, this man is her brother-in-law. So, yeah. yeah, gross. Not the move, sir. Yeah. But this is where one of the first big plot twists of the story comes to light, because we find out that the therapist that Alicia was, quote-unquote, unofficially seeing in secret was Christian, who you might not remember, But bringing it back to the very beginning of this recap, Christian is the other psychotherapist who currently works at the Grove, who Theo Theo did not really like because he had worked with him previously. And for whatever reason, they didn't really like each other. They don't really explain why. But Mm -hmm. so plot twist there. Theo eventually confronts him. But Christian just kind of explains that he was only treating Alicia because he was helping out Gabriel, who was an old friend. And they wanted to keep her treatment private, so he pretty much just begs Theo not to tell anyone because it could cost him his job. It could also probably cost him his entire, like, professional license at that Mm -hmm. point. Um, So even though this does make, like, Christian's involvement and his character seem kind of suspicious, it doesn't really seem to go anywhere in terms of figuring out what happened. And, like, we realize that he's not necessarily involved in gabriel's death but it's just like a weird coincidence Mm -hmm. so theo is able to convince dr diomedes and the rest of the nursing staff to reduce alicia's medication and he continues meeting with her in hopes that she will become more lucid that he can build rapport and try to get her to start speaking He slowly but surely is able to have kind of a breakthrough with her when he convinces the art therapist on staff to offer Alicia some painting supplies. So he continues to meet with her, also continues to snoop around and meet some of her other family members to get more information about her past. So he then finds out from Alicia's cousin that after the death of her mother, 
You remember her mother died in the car accident and Alicia believes that it was an intentional accident. She overhears her father say that he wished Alicia had died instead of her mother. And I Mm. think it, I think, I can't remember now exactly how old she was, but she was young. She was a child. Yeah, she was, I want to say like not a teenager yet. No, I think she was Maybe like seven, eight. Yeah, I was thinking like eight or nine, but I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. But she was young. So, I mean, that's devastating to hear regardless of what age you are, but especially when you're a child. Um, So Theo kind of puts together the pieces of all of that. And he kind of comes to the conclusion that like psychologically her father essentially kind of killed her in that moment. And that something similar must have happened to trigger her response to then killing Gabriel the night that he died so starts to kind of put some pieces together but there's a there's still you know a lot of questions in the air of what led to her responding in that way so with that info in hand he goes back to the grove he confronts Alicia about what happened and she begins to tell him what happened the night that Gabriel died so she explains that a man had been watching her in the weeks leading up to Gabriel's death and on the night that he died He was running late, hadn't gotten home from work yet. She was home alone, and she realized that the man that had been watching her was in the house. So the man apparently basically held her up, tied her to a chair, held a gun to her head, and they just waited for Gabriel to get home. When Gabriel got home, the man attacked him, basically like beat him up until he was unconscious, then tied him to a chair, and then shot him six times and then just left. So, I don't know. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot to to process. It's a lot to verbalize, a lot to process. So that's what, that's, according to Alicia's story, that's what happened the night that Gabriel died. But, and that, I mean, that story is rather convincing, but Theo apparently doesn't believe a word of it because I guess it has too many inconsistencies from what he knows about the case. And I like Mm -hmm. some of the stuff with like what was found on the, um, like at the scene and stuff like that. He doesn't think that it's accurate. So the next morning when Theo arrives back at the Grove, the staff tells him that they had found Alicia in a coma after what they assume was a drug overdose. Theo, however, another plot Mm. twist, accuses Christian, remember her other secret therapist, of attempting to murder her and intentionally overdose her and basically like accuses him and calls the police on him. I don't know if he calls the police. That might have been a jump in statement, but... That gets put out into the universe and so people think that christian was trying to like silence her because of like the fact that he had previously worked with her and he was trying to cover it up i think yeah i think theo was telling the other staff from the grove and just like putting all of these little peanuts in their head and then Mm -hmm. they were he kind of let them come to that conclusion and then they called the police yes okay i think so this is where things really take a turn so (laughs) If you're not already buckled up, you might want to buckle up. But I won't go through every single detail here, but as the reader, we begin to realize at this point that there's actually a third like timeline or perspective when it comes to the events that is being described. So there's there's Theo's narration of the present day where he's treating Alicia in the hospital. And at the same time, he's narrating events from the past that align with Alicia's diary entries and those events are basically where he finds out that his wife is cheating on him 
And it kind of like when I was reading it, it kind of felt like a side story. Like I didn't really Mm -hmm. understand how everything came together until you get to the point where you realize that those two perspectives, Alicia's diary entries and Theo's description of what's happening with his wife, they basically come to a head and they merge and you realize that that's the same timeline. So those Mm -hmm. are both in the past. And he finds out that his wife is cheating on him with none other than Dun Dun Dun, Alicia's husband, Gabriel. Big gasp. Yeah. So everything comes to a head at this point when Theo decides to confront his wife's lover by doing what? You guessed it. Breaking in to his house where he finds none other than Gabriel's wife, a.k.a. the Alicia, Alicia, whatever, Berenson. So we realize that Theo's fascination with her in this case was not at all innocent. And he Mm-mm. has he's essentially been manipulating the reader, the timeline, the story, everything this whole time to conceal his own involvement in this case and in Gabriel's death. So Alicia cleverly explains what actually happened on that night in a hidden diary page that she left in the back of one of her paintings at the hospital before she was injected with the drugs that put her into an overdose coma. So here we go. The night that Gabriel died, Theo broke into their house and tied up both Alicia and Gabriel in hopes that he was going to expose Gabriel's disloyalty. Like he basically was going there to expose the fact that Gabriel was cheating on Alicia to Alicia. Because she didn't know, right? No, she did not know. So he shows that he had been watching Alicia. He had been not. I don't know if he's watching her. He was watching the house. He decides to show up because he wants to expose what Gabriel was doing, basically. Mm. So he essentially offered. This is where Alcestis, the play that I mentioned earlier. This is where we bring that back around. So Theo basically gives Gabriel a choice and he offers or he makes Gabriel decide if he's going to kill Gabriel or Alicia. So he gives him the choice of his life or his wife. Gabriel chooses to save himself Mm. instead of his wife. But in that moment, Theo leaves without killing anyone. So he basically was like presenting him with that choice, knowing that he was probably going to choose himself so that it could expose his like, I don't know, horribleness or disloyalty or whatever you want to call it to Alicia. However... In another turn of events, Gabriel's willingness to save himself and sacrifice Alicia triggers that unresolved trauma regarding her father. So she then kind of snaps, picks up the gun, and shoots Gabriel, killing him. Mm. Just gonna leave a moment of silence there. (laughs) Because that, (laughs) that was a lot. There's no way Theo could have known how much unresolved trauma she had. No. I mean, not that he should have done this regardless. (laughs) No. But remember when I said earlier that Theo could have kind of come to the conclusion that her father saying that he wished that Alicia had died instead of her mother, like that kind of broke her when she was a child. And now this triggered that same response of like of when Gabriel decided to save himself and basically that again killed her psychologically. It was yet again somebody saying that they would rather her die than someone else. Yes. Yes. Poor Alicia. I know. So somewhere along the way, during the time that Theo was working at the Grove with Alicia, she recognized him as the stalker and as the man that broke into her house. But she Mm kind of decided to just play dumb until she, like, knew for sure that it was him. 
and also so that she could figure out like what he wanted and why he was there. So when she finally decided to tell Theo, quote unquote, the truth that I kind of described earlier, she was intentionally lying about it to basically like tell Theo that she knew that it was him without actually saying the words. So we're almost there, folks. Theo essentially framed Christian because Theo was the one that gave Alicia the overdose by injection to silence her and because he was trying to hide his own involvement in the events of that night. And although, like, I mean, you said, like, there's no way he could have known that Alicia would actually kill him, but he did, like, set the stage for all of those events to occur. Mm -hmm. So eventually, the very end of the book, everything catches up to him, and Alicia's hidden diary page is discovered by the police, which basically outlines everything that actually happened, and he is finally caught for his crimes. As he should be, yeah. naughty man. Yeah. He went a little so... crazy there for a minute. <laughs> there was a lot of crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess we know that he had a lot going on because he had had his own struggles earlier. And then Kathy, his wife, having the affair with Gabriel was just the catalyst that set him off for yeah. all of this. And then Alicia was just the poor bystander yeah. that was hurt over and over again in the process. Yeah. Well, I have to start with the elephant in the room, or at least the elephant that's in my head. I was thinking about it as I was reading the book or listening, and then I was thinking about it I was I was listening to you recap the book. How do you stay silent for so long? I mean, obviously, we like to talk, and she had been through a lot of trauma, but we do find out it wasn't something physical that was stopping her from talking. And again, you could, I think, still argue if it was her choice versus it was psychological trauma that was stopping her from talking. But I just can't imagine. Yeah. It was like years and years and years. Yeah. One, I don't, I mean, I did, I mean, I said that in the recap, but like, I think because we kind of, you know, went through the recap quickly, like maybe we didn't pause to um, recognize or like focus on the fact that it was years in between, like, her mm -hmm. being silent and then all of this happening with Theo when she actually started speaking again. So there was a long, there was a long time. And I don't know. I think in the context of this story, there was good reason for her to not speak, but it's mm -hmm. personally, personally hard to imagine. And this is, I don't know why this just came to my brain because this is such a random story and side note, but as soon as she asked that question, it made me think about this time in middle school. I think it was middle school. And there was some sort of like, challenge or not a challenge there was something going on where like people were silent for a day of school and I don't remember exactly the reasoning behind it but it was like certain people would get chosen and then they'd come to school and like have to act as if like they were dead or something and they weren't able to communicate with other people or like it was supposed to give off that impression and I don't know if maybe it was one of those like drunk driving type reenactments that they used to do but I remember it just being very like it's just a very distinct memory in my head and all it had to do with was like not being able to speak for a day so I don't know Wait, why I you, could go for years you did that in middle school I think so because think? I remember like I remember being like around the people that I was with in middle school you know what I mean because mm -hmm. we went where we went to middle school like there was kind of two count not two counties but were, like 
we went to middle school with different people than we went to high school with. And I remember being like around those people in middle school. But if you went to Arlington middle and you know what I'm talking about, let me know. I hope I'm not just making this up in my brain, but. Well, I only ask that because we did do that every other year in high school and like we went to the same high school. So you might have also done it there, but you're right. It was a huge drunk driving reenactment. I ended up being a part of it. And so they brought in a crashed car and did makeup for the students Mm -hmm. for who had been in the fake crash so that they looked all bloodied. An ambulance came, a medical evac helicopter came and landed on the football field and the whole school or the whole school, juniors and seniors came out and watched it because those are typically the kids who can drive. And that's why they did it every other year. And the student who was the drunk driver, quote unquote, actually got like booked in jail. Like they took a video of it and then were like live streaming it to show people what it was like to have to go to jail. And there was also a grim reaper like dressed up who went around quote unquote, killing people. Mm-hmm. And if you were killed, you couldn't speak for the rest of the day. And you had a tombstone around your neck with the type of distracted driving that had killed you. Okay, so yeah. then, yeah, at a certain point in the day, everyone that had been killed after they couldn't talk all day had to go lay in the gym in a supposed graveyard, I guess. And it was like blocked off. So if you were a dead person, you had to be in this big square in the gym and just lay there with your eyes closed. And every those juniors and seniors, everybody else had to come and walk around and like read those tombstones and see all the people who had died. Like people cried. It was (laughs) a little intense. I don't thinking back, I'm like, is that okay? What did that do to people? I mean, it was sobering to say the least. I don't know if there's any evidence on if it really works to stop teenagers from distracted driving, but you're right. It was really hard not to talk all day. And then it was really sad to have to pretend to be dead and watch people come by and like cry because they were watching you in the graveyard. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think it was that. And I don't know why I thought it was in middle school. But I, as you started explaining that, I remember very vividly, like you just opened up this memory of the Grim Reaper and the tombstones Mm -hmm. and the graveyard and all of it. So were you involved? I don't think I wasn't one of the people that was like involved in the crash. No, I just, but, but I still, I still, for some reason have some memory of like being in middle school and without going into too many details, I remember it because I remember being sad that I couldn't talk to my crush at the time. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be how you remember. But that's why I remember it. And I don't mm-hmm. know, I don't know what the circumstance was. It was not that. We did not do that in middle school. But I just remember for whatever reason having a day. Honestly, knowing me, it was probably just one of my friends that like dared me not to talk for a day and I just thought I was being cool. Mm-hmm. But It wasn't as aggressive as being told you died because of something. Some of the tombstones were like really stupid distracted drivings too. Like you dropped something on the floor, but I mean, it's accurate. Like it can happen. And they did a really good job about picking people from a lot of different friend groups. Like if you Mm -hmm. went around to the graveyard, you saw somebody that you knew really well. And there were multiple, like at least one or two people in everyone's classes that was not speaking. Yeah. kind of of intense but it was uh anyway that was a lot uh we both work in helping professions and I'm starting to think that maybe that little exercise in our schools is why because maybe we were all traumatized I don't know (laughs) um but 
Have you ever heard of a situation or a case in the news kind of like this story and been drawn to want to work with that patient or been curious about working with that patient? Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like I've definitely had my fair share of like getting caught up in certain cases in real life. Mm-hmm. And I know we both do have like, you know, a lo- we both love a good true crime like story <laughs> documentary. But I don't think it's ever really translated into me wanting to work with someone. Right. I mean, right now, the main case on my mind, along <laughs> with a lot of the world, is our girl Gypsy Rose. Oh, gosh. But I don't know if I would necessarily say that I would want to work with her. Like, I don't know. What about you? Well, I work in a children's hospital, so and it's here local in town. So I do often see things on social media or on the news that then I'm either working with the family at work or one of my team members is working to help support that family or support other people while at work. So I think it's kind of done the opposite for me. Like if I do see something on social media or the news, I'm not like, oh, can't wait to work with them at work. Instead, a lot of times I try to avoid that kind of crossover between seeing things at home and then at work too. So I just don't watch the news anymore. Avoidant Coper party of one over here. That's fair. I'm I'm kind of the same way, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess it could do the opposite, but we do learn that, I mean, Theo was not all on the up and up. So I guess it's appropriate. Yeah. Setting some boundaries, you know? Yeah. Since you did, yeah, (laughs) since you did bring up true crime, though, and also these TV shows, what, is there anyone from a true crime situation or like a crime documentary or anything that you would want to do art therapy with? Well, because I mentioned Law and Order SVU, I have to say Uh my girl, Olivia Benson. Uh, I love Olivia. And she's got a lot going on. She'd probably have a lot to do art therapy about between her personal life, her all this stuff she gets into and her work life. Absolutely. I honestly don't know when she'd have the time for art therapy <laughs> with everything that she does and everyone she's trying to save. But um, I feel like that would be kind of fun. Yeah, they'd probably it'd be like one of those episodes where they were having to force them to like go to the counselor and they're all like, eh, counseling, all, yeah. we don't want to go. <laughs> do, we have too many have people to save. so she'd have to be forced to do it at work and then she'd be like i have too many people to help because they're always trying to help somebody but that kind of reminds me in the book theo talks about like he had his history with getting counseling and getting therapy and at one point this just really stuck out to me because we are also two people in helping careers i have a psych degree and at one point he said that people who study psychology do it to heal themselves and i felt called out I was like no (laughs) like for me personally that didn't feel true for me but also kind of as you're talking about Olivia I'm like she's not even a real person but I mean yes she is Mariska is but Olivia Benson technically is not she had like been through so much and that was why she went into her career field too have you heard that before or thought about it do you agree do you think a lot of people in helping careers they're doing it to heal some part of themselves I mean, I can't really speak for anyone else, but just from my own experience, I definitely think that my own mental health experiences, challenges, whatever you want to call it, informed 
my decision to go into the career that I'm now in. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if it was necessarily with the intention to heal myself, but I do think it came from a place where I wanted to find a way to use my experiences for good, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think it's safe to say that a lot of people who go into those types of careers have that intention. And I think it is kind of a beautiful way to reframe some of the difficult things that we've gone through to then help other people who are going through maybe something similar and I think maybe in a way that does heal ourselves, but I don't know. I did. I remember yeah. reading that though and thinking that it was, I I also remember feeling like called out, not called out, but just like, <laughs> I remember being like, like I stopped and like really thought about that one sentence and that one line. So it's interesting yeah. that it jumped out to both of us. Yes. Well, and that's an interesting perspective too. And one that I hadn't really thought of that you were kind of speaking to. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm an Enneagram too. And so helping and serving is just very much ingrained into who I am. And I don't even realize it sometimes. And so I don't think I've ever really considered like why I'm a helper or why, I don't know, I am the way that I am. I feel like it probably has a lot to do with our parents and our family. I feel like we have a lot of people in our family who work in helping careers or that's just kind of who they are. And so, I mean, obviously that shaped me into who I am, but it's so interesting kind of thinking through. It just really made me have this whole midlife crisis. Yeah. Well, and I will say what you said about like our parents and our family, when I, because my original like intention with my career was not art therapy. I was, mm -hmm. I got my undergrad in graphic design and I remember like trying to figure out a way to like I wanted to do something with my life and with my career that helped other people but mm -hmm. I had always kind of been like the artistic one I knew that I wanted to do something in the arts and I didn't see how that would fit into like a helping profession and mm -hmm. like we had you know teacher firefighter you working in hospital like nurse, like we had so many other careers that I didn't really see myself in but then once I realized like basically once I found out more about art therapy I was like oh this is what I've been looking for the whole time so the perfect mashup it's true I was so curious reading this book because you are an art therapist and art was such a prominent theme throughout this book and it in some ways like it was what saved Alicia and it was what really helped her explain what she had been through and what her experience was did you have any like sneaky insights into her artwork throughout the book? I know we don't get to actually see it, but just hearing it described or reading it described. Gosh, I I don't even know where to start. <laughs> like you said, I really wish that I could see an actual like representation because the mm -hmm. way that it was described, there was so much like symbolism behind it. And oh. even I also wish that I like knew that I was more familiar with the play. Mm -hmm. like the title that she used because I had to look that like I had to look that up and mm -hmm. I wish that I was just more familiar with that as well but I mean I don't know if I can really go into like any sneaky details but I think in general it was a very <laughs> like powerful representation of what art therapy is at its core because I think sometimes there aren't words for our thoughts and our emotions and our experiences but the art that we create can speak to those experiences when words aren't enough. And we always say that like art is an extension of yourself. So whatever you make is an extension of you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I could go on and talk about art therapy forever. So. 
I was about to say mic drop that one line that the one thing that you said it about how your like thoughts and emotions sometimes you don't have words for it and that I mean Alicia didn't have words for it for like seven years it's true but the art brought it out of her I'm sure it was fun for you to see like your work represented in a book and a story in such a popular book too I think as I mean both of us work in fields that aren't as well known like we say all the time, most people don't know about child life or a child life specialist unless you've needed a child life specialist or worked mm-hmm. with one. And I could see that in some ways being the same for art therapy too. So I'm sure that was cool. Um, but I kept thinking throughout the book, kind of like you said, it would have been nice to see the artwork. And I've, I don't know if they could just like add that to the book, but it would be fun to see like pictures when they were talking about things. I mean, I think it's nice to use your imagination, obviously, and I have a picture in my head of what it looked like, but I think it this book would be so good as like a mini series because there's so mm-hmm. much like rich visualization that it would be fun to see on screen. Kind of like all those Harlan Coben ones that are coming out on Netflix, like Big Little Lies, just like a little mini series, you know, yeah. with a lot of drama and it's kind of dark and rainy all the time and there's artwork. Yeah. Mystery. And- I feel like it could be really cool. Like, I feel like if it was done well, it would be really cool to see how they, like, piece together the storylines and, the like, yeah. the timelines. Because oh, a lot of true. times when shows do that, it's like, you know, one will be, like, like, the coloring will be different of the different timelines. So you can kind of differentiate it. But obviously, like, that's part of the trick of the book is that you don't, uh-huh. like, you can't differentiate it at first. I feel like as a series, it would be, like really cool to see how the Mm -hmm. writer director creator whoever it was like did that aspect of it that's so true and something I hadn't thought of like how would they split that up because you don't know until the end that there's actually three different kind of perspectives going Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. I think the other really cool thing for me about how this was written was that Alicia was like she was the main character really like she was the sensationalized story she was what everyone wanted to know more about and the only you only hear from her through her diary and from other people you never hear from her directly even though she was the main character did you like notice that or think anything about that throughout the book I honestly never really thought about it that way until you pointed it out but I do think Mm -hmm. it was a really unique way to piece together the story and I feel like it was a very intimate way to get to know her through Mm -hmm. the diary because that is typically the place where people share kind of their most honest vulnerable thoughts and I think Mm. that was honestly one of the reasons why I believed her throughout the story and I was like always on her side and I really didn't think I didn't think that she had killed him like I didn't think she was guilty because I saw her and I don't know I saw her as this like vulnerable person who was sharing all of her innermost thoughts and I didn't think that it was going to be her, you know? Yeah. That's such a good point because I felt loyal to her for some reason too and didn't really think she had done it, but couldn't figure out why I had felt that way. I don't, if you have listened to us talk about it, girl, you know, I'm not super loyal to these people and to these characters. I will think anybody and everybody was involved, but I didn't, like you said, I wanted to trust Alicia and I wanted to believe that she didn't really do it. And 
honestly, like, even as we're talking about it, I keep having to remind myself that she was the murderer. Like, she was guilty. I, mm-hmm. my brain thinks of her as the victim and she wasn't actually guilty in any of it, but she was. And maybe that is because you were getting to know her so intimately in a place that is as vulnerable as a diary is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, a lot of other people throughout the book, though, were very confident that it was her who was guilty and it did end up being that it was. But it sounds like we both agreed more with uh, eccentric Barbie, her neighbor who lived next door. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember her? Yeah, I forgot to mention her in the recap. But well, she like was a minor character. She was this American who was living next door to Alicia and Gabriel, and she was flamboyant and loud, and she talked a lot, and she just seemed like a great time. Alicia wasn't her biggest fan, but Barbie was Alicia's biggest fan, which was funny. That's a good way um, to put it. Yeah. And she, Barbie was confident. Like, she was so sure. She was like, that is not my girl, Alicia. She would not have done that. Like, she is the person you want in your corner if you are suspected of murder, for sure. But she was wrong. We were wrong. Did you have any other suspects? I mean, if you didn't think it was Alicia, did you have anyone that you did think it was? I honestly had no clue. And I think that's what kept me so, like, on edge with this one. And I read it so quickly because... I don't know. I will say I didn't I didn't suspect Theo at all until the chapter when he like crept into the woods when he like first like found out about his wife's affair and he was like following his wife like that. Mm. That to me, I was like, okay, this is kind of off like this feels weird. And but even I don't know, even then I didn't think that he was necessarily involved in like Gabriel and Alicia's story because I didn't Mm -hmm. see how those two things matched up like I. I think I said this earlier, but I just thought that that was like a side story and I didn't really Mm -hmm. understand why it was like, like how it was all going to come together. I thought, I don't know. I thought maybe he was just like having his own delusions and he was going to like spiral out of control at some point. And because they had talked about like, well, maybe Alicia was just having delusions of this man that she thought was talking her. So I thought maybe that's how it was like intertwined. But I don't know. Little did I know he would, he had already spun out of control long, long (laughs) ago, but interesting you picked up on something that i didn't at him following his wife and then kind of watching the house of the person she was having an affair with didn't really feel that crazy to me since he was trying to figure out what was going on but now that i'm saying that i'm like you're you sound like a psycho like you sound like a stalker I'm like, listen if your partner is cheating on you yes go see what they're doing and bring a friend like let's go hide behind a tree and see what's going on i will be that friend for you if you need that person because apparently i'm crazy too like theo um anyway i i was in the same boat though i didn't expect him to be involved obviously i was validating his choices <laughs> So, but I did this one as an audiobook and I did I had to back it up and re-listen when I realized that Theo was telling the story of the night that Gabriel died and it was from his perspective and that he was there and that his wife Kathy was having an affair and that that man was Gabriel. Yeah. And so the wife that Theo saw in the window was Alicia, which meant that the man that Alicia saw watching her house was Theo. Mm-hmm. I was shook. Did you have any idea? No. I mean... (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) No. I'd like to say yes, but 
I will say though that I I did start to pick up on it like once I don't I don't know exactly when it was but I did I I just remember starting to be like okay this feels a little weird <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. and it, but I still just I didn't know how it connected I knew that it felt off but I didn't I did not piece it all together until like the very end Right. which is hard to do with books I feel like Yes. I was shook about this one. I I was bamboozled. Theo got me good. I was really thrown off his scent. I think, too, when it was revealed that Christian was Alicia's therapist from before, which I know was Theo's whole master plan, and he got the rest of the Grove staff and their little literal psychiatrist, but he got me good. Yeah. One, I just, like, I wondered, they never really explained why, like, him and Christian didn't get along, and I always wondered, like, did he really not get along with him, or did he, was he just not happy to see him at the Grove, because he was like, oh, crap, what if he, like, what if he knows, or, like, can somehow put, like, put together pieces of what happened? Oh my gosh. What if you're right? What if they never had beef? What if that was all just Theo trying to bamboozle us more? Well, because Theo, I mean, Theo was the main narrator, and he was obviously very unreliable. Like, I would want to go back. Hmm. I read this book, like, like I said, very quickly, and I would like to go back and, like, go through it all again and, like, pick up on, like, see if there were anything, like, Mm -hmm. that I missed or that, you, you know what I mean? Like, now that you know what happened, if you go back and read it and, like, pick up on the little details that, like, pointed to him the whole time, you know? I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I never, maybe other people realize this, but I think one of the biggest reasons I didn't think it was Theo was that I was under the impression that the diary was fully from the past and that Theo's perspective, including his wife cheating on him, was fully from the present. Like normally books like this, the chapters are differentiated by the timeline. So they'll say like past and present or they'll give dates. But this one, it was just, it would say like the diary or Alicia and then it would say Theo or something. Thing. So you were in Theo's brain and in Alicia's brain, but you just assumed, which we know what assuming does to people, that those were just two timelines and perspectives, but it wasn't. And then we end up finding out that when Theo was talking about Kathy and her affair, that was actually the past. And it just didn't say that. So him walking through that experience was simultaneously what was happening in the diary entries. And we just didn't know. Genius, Alex. Genius. Good Yeah. author work. And I, like I said, I want to go back and, and look at some of these details, but like, I remember like some of the time when like he would get home and find out something about Kathy and like the affair. Like, Mm I feel hmm like it would say like he got home from work. And I Ah. think because he was working at the Grove, like in the other chapters, like Uh. Mm I hmm was, I was assuming like, oh, he just got home from work because it just finished a chapter about him being at work. But now thinking back, I'm like, were they really referring to like, like they didn't really go into that much detail about like, where was he, like, what work was he coming from? Like what, you know what I mean? It was like now thinking about it, it was like just vague enough to where they got away with like tricking you, you know, which is very smart. Yeah, and wasn't there chapters from Theo back to back? Yeah. So in hindsight, like you're saying, I would like to go back and see, like, is that where it jumps timelines? And I just wasn't paying attention to the fact, like, why would they have done back to back Theo chapters? Why wouldn't they have just kept going? But that is why. Mm -hmm. I don't know what type of literary device that is, but it's a good one.
It's a good one. We like it, Alex. Keep Mm -hmm. it up. I think that too, part of what kept me hooked was that it didn't seem like there were really any other viable suspects. Like you were saying, you were like, I just really didn't have any clue because until Theo was making the reader and everyone in the book second guessed Christian, like it didn't, who else could have done it? It was just this random like stalker man who may or may not have actually been real, but who the heck was that guy supposed to be? And thankfully, Alicia hid the diary entry, so Christian's off the hook, and he didn't go down for it. Um, But it just, I don't know, it's kind of crazy that, I mean, it did end up being Alicia, so there really weren't any other suspects, but it was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I will say once we found out that Christian was her therapist previously, I did get a little suspicious of him, but I feel like that... Mm -hmm. Like, that was kind of wrapped up relatively quickly. And I was like, okay, well, I don't think, like, he was suspicious and then he kind of wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, just in general, there were a lot of uh, weird client-therapist relationship things happening in this book. <laughs> that right there might be the biggest understatement of the book. Like, obviously, this is work that you do. Like, you do this all the time. So I wonder if that's something that came up for other readers and that things that people thought about even if that's not the work that they do because working with clients in this capacity is not everyone's day-to-day but it is something you do often and you have to think of the ethics and the boundaries Mm -hmm. so I wonder as someone in the field what did you think about a professional psychotherapist quitting their job starting a new one specifically to see a patient even before we find out that he was super involved like did that feel appropriate to you from the beginning absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There were so many ethical boundaries crossed in this book. Like it just mm-hmm. took me straight back to my ethics class. Shout out Dr. Gusak. Um, <laughs> he would like give us a ton of different scenarios and we would like discuss and debate like, you know, what would you do? What should you do? What shouldn't you do? And mm-hmm. I just feel like we would have had a field day with this one. But I don't know, especially when, like, he started going around and, like, speaking to her whole family without her permission and her friends. And, like, I mean, Diomedes, I think, in the book, like, told him at one point that he, like, kind of crossed a boundary, but he just kept doing it anyway. And I Mm -hmm. will say, honestly, I think that is why, like, I was suspicious of him early on, but I just Mm. didn't, I didn't know why. I didn't know, like, I didn't know how he was involved, but I was just like, what is this guy doing? Like, he's supposed to be the psychotherapist, but he isn't, like he is just Mm -hmm. off the wall with some of the stuff that he's doing and I think I just kind of tried to boil it down to like he was just desperate to find out the truth and he was desperate to like be the one to crack the case Mm -hmm. which I think could happen I think that could maybe get in the way of people's like thought processes and like making you know moral judgment calls but yeah boundaries people boundaries that is a good point though his obsession with her And the case probably should have been our biggest breadcrumb. And maybe it's just because I read this book so fast or I listened to it in like two days. But I do feel like with everything that was going on, it's taken me like a week and a half since I finished. And honestly, this whole full conversation we've just had to really process and feel like I understand it more and better. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot in this one. (laughs) Um, Well, unfortunately or fortunately for us, I think that our next book is also going to leave us with our head spinning as well and a lot for us to think about again. Yes. So the next book that we're covering is The Op Hair by Emma Rouse, Roos, maybe not sure which one. 
Um, and that will drop in two weeks and it is just as exciting and crazy as this one was. Yeah, different, like a whole different vibe, but a lot of characters to keep up with, like generations, a whole family tree. I don't know. I'm really excited to get to talk about this one with you, but there is a lot to talk about just in a different way. Like this one felt darker to me Mm -hmm. and it was more like psychology side. And then the au pair, which obviously we'll get more into when we talk about it, but that one was more like family drama secrets type thing. Spicy. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really read a book that was like the au pair. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to talk about it too and to share it with all of you lovely little listeners. We will see you back in two weeks. That's when our new episode about the off-hair will drop, and we are excited. Thank you for following along with us today. See you later, book club. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Books and Boards Pod to see what book we'll be reading next. We'd love to chat with you about our current read in our DMs. You can also email us at booksandboardspod at gmail.com with future book recommendations, comments, or questions that you want us to cover during a future episode. See you soon!